and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, it's, it has been said that everything that happens before Genesis, Genesis 12 points to Genesis 12, and everything after Genesis 12 really refers back to it. So it must mean it's a pretty important passage. Um, so let's look at Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to read verse 1 again. Notice there are three things that God calls Abram to leave. Okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is precious and dear to us. I pray that you would make it more precious and more dear to us. That as your spirit works in our hearts through your word, that you would cast our gaze once more, more strongly on Jesus, that we would be changed and turned in more and more into, or changed more and more into the image of your Son. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. What are the most important events in your family's history? You ever thought about that? If you, if you had to bullet point it, what would be the most important uh, points or events in your family's history? Now, I'm not just talking about maybe your lifetime. I'm thinking further back. Uh, we, we live in a culture now that we don't really think about the history of our families very much, but, but it really doesn't matter. Many of you like genealogy, and, and I've learned a few things about my family. If we, furthest I know going back is that some folks in my family signed the Magna Carta. That was back in 1215. That, that's been a while. For, or my father's side, when the Johnsons came from England... I think it was the Hildreths somewhere in there. Uh, one of the brothers uh, was named Thomas, who built one of the first Presbyterian churches in the entire colonies, and first one in New York. Or when my mother's side, the Von Arbachs, back then, left in the mid-1800s to come to, uh, to America from Germany. And the, the fairy tale, I don't know if it's true or not, is that they sewed the family jewels into their clothes so they'd have something to... Uh, live off of when they got here. I don't know if that's true, but it's a really good story. You know, those, those events have affected where I was born. I mean, those have had deep impacts on my family. Even if I, I don't know these people, and apparently I don't even know their names, 
Or more recently, like when my great-grandfather on the all-back side fought in World War II, serving at the POW camp at Aliceville, second-in-command there, or my grandfather Johnson serving in the Pacific on a destroyer. Or, or going further, when my parents met and then married, and then later when my dad became a Christian in his mid-30s and revival hit my household, and then certainly when I met Christy and had the kids and moved to Bruton. These are all big events in my life. And I'm sure if you started thinking about all the big events in your life, some of them good, some of them bad. Our lives aren't all fairy tales. They're, they're, none of them are. We have many bumps, many ups and downs. What about our spiritual family history? Have you ever thought about that, our spiritual family history? As brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation, we can trace our direct lineage back to 1884 when I think it was about 12 members were received as members into the first Presbyterian church right next to what is now the Bank of Bruton in a cornfield. Right, but it goes further back to that, old Scotland. and uh, you know, We think about our spiritual heritage and we go back to the Reformation and then, of course, the days of the Apostle Paul and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of course, and His coming. But, but our, our story doesn't end there. A lot of times, especially as Gentiles, as those who are not of Jewish descent, a lot of times we think that our story really ends with the, the New Testament church, but that's just not true. So the text we've just read is our story. We have to go back a good bit further, right? About 2,200 years before Christ was born. It was a long time ago. But this is our story. This is really, as we think about Father Abraham, he is our father because he is, the, he is a man of faith. He is the one whom God would call to begin His people. And we are His people. Jew and Gentile alike, we are now Israel. And Galatians 3.6 puts it this way, Know that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. If you're a believer here, you are a son or daughter of Abraham. He is one of your spiritual fathers. So this means that Genesis 12, 1 through 9, this is our story. This isn't just some Old Testament wonderful story you hear in Sunday school when you're a kid. This has ongoing ramifications for who we are. It has helped form us and give us identity. You know, as we think about where we are in the book of Genesis, there had been a, a shucking down of people, right? You had all these people in the world, and, and then God shucked it down to eight. Eight people in the flood. And then the, the world is repopulated by those eight people. And, and then there's something that really big happens in our text today. As God begins His spiritual family through whom the Messiah will come. This is our story. This text is called the call of Abraham. And it will be helpful to remember from last week that Abram... And remember, he, his name changes from Abram to Abraham in Genesis 17... I will forget to call him Abram. So uh, whatever I say is what I'm going to say. Uh, so God called Abram uh, back in the Ur of the Chaldees, which was a very influential city, but also a very evil city in what is now modern-day Iraq along the Euphrates River. What this means is God did not call Abram because he was a good guy. In fact, there was nothing in Abram that commended him to God or, or calls God to say, hey, that's a great guy. I think I'll call him. I think I'll save him. No, 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 no. In fact, we learned in Joshua 24 that he was an idol worshiper. He served pagan gods. This guy was heading in the wrong direction. He was a pagan, a heathen. And we know actually from excavations in Ur 
from the ziggurat uh, there that they, the religion he practiced involved human sacrifice. And whether he participated in it, I'm sure he at least saw it, or he knew it went on. He was not terribly, terribly good guy, right? You know, he reflected what the, those classes say this morning, actually. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. You know, that word no one and none, that's a pretty all-encompassing kind of word, isn't it? And that included Father Abraham. You know, the, thing, the reality is that we're no different from Abram. We reflect Romans 3 pretty well too, don't we? This is important because God is going to call Abram and all those who believe in him, whether in Abram's day or in ours, not because we're good, but because of the riches of his mercy and grace. Why did God choose Abram out of all these people? Because of his riches and grace for his own glory. So that we can stand up and give God the praise here instead of Abram. Abram did some good stuff. He also did some really bad stuff. But who's the hero of our story? It's not Abram. It's God. And especially Abram's offspring, Jesus, our Savior. And if Abram, Father Abraham, through whom uh, all believers in Christ trace our lineage, if he didn't deserve to be saved, then, then it means that he has set the pattern for how we are saved. No one's righteous. None. No one seeks God. No one is good. Which means that God's grace is amazing. I, I was thinking this morning, none of us deserve to sit in these pews. Not a one of us. Think about what does it mean to be a member of the church? It means to be a worshiper of Christ. It means someone who has been united to Christ, saved, redeemed by His blood. And that means that these pews are held and, and kept weighted down during the service, right? by sinners like you and me who don't deserve God's mercy and love and grace, which means His love, mercy, and grace is all the more amazing. He alone gets the glory. And what a delight it is to be called out of sin and out of darkness and for God to save us because of His love for lost sinners like you, but God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Romans 5. And that we have been invited, not just invited, but calls to call upon His name. And we will worship to God, worship God here in this life, but also in the life to come with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, including Father Abraham. God spoke to Abram. He revealed Himself to Abram. Abram wasn't going after God. He wasn't looking for God. Verse, uh, verse 1, God calls to him says to him. We don't know what that looked like. He's going to appear to him later in verse 7 when he actually gets to the promised land. But God has from eternity past chosen Abram for salvation and to be used for kingdom extension. And then God called him, spoke to him, not because Abram was good looking. He was old by our reckoning. God spoke the world into existence and he spoke faith into Abram's heart. And this is how we are saved. God, by His grace, working faith into our hearts, calling us, causing us to call upon His holy name. We go from being idol worshippers, pagans, heathens, every one of us, to being worshippers of God. Because God, by the Holy Spirit, through His Word, 
makes us new. It makes Jesus lovely to us. And Abram living in the Ur of Chaldees, suddenly Yahweh seemed lovely to him. And he called upon his name. It's important to note this passage is not just a call to immigrate. It's not just a passage to go to a different land. It is a call to conversion, to turn from and to turn to. Verse 1, go from your country. Three things, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house, the land that I will show you. First, God calls him out of his country, out of the Ur of of the Chaldeans in modern-day Iraq. Y'all, this was a nice place. It was along the Euphrates River. Uh, the silt was, was, uh, that from the river was kind of like Egypt. You know, and so it would have been a great place to, to grow crops and to, and to live. The grass would have been lush for herds. Uh, Ur was one of those um, central hubs. It was important politically, economically, and religiously. It's kind of like living in New York. I mean, if you like that kind of thing. You know, it was a big deal to be called out of this metropolitan place to a land that God will... Did did you see this? God will show to him. He didn't give him the GPS coordinates on the front end. It's a a lot like the wise men, right? Who probably would have come from a a similar kind of area. And they followed that star. We don't know where we're going. We're following that star. You know, leaving your country is a big deal. Back in those days, it was thought that gods only had power over their geographic land. And so here is this foreign god, Yahweh, who, by the way, is the maker of heavens and earth, the sea and the dry land and all that is within them, the only one true and living God. And he is invading the land of some moon god that accepts human sacrifices and calling this man from that to salvation, to worship the one true and living God. Praise God. That was his plan. Well, God calls him not just from his country, but also his kindred. His kindred. Uh, It's translated kindred here. We might translate it clan, right? Or extended, really far extended family. Back in those days, family was super duper important. You'd have large tribes, right? And within the tribes, you would have clans. And you would marry and bury within your tribe and your clan. This was your identity, it gave, it gave you identity. It told you who you were and your place in the world. Problems were adjudicated by patriarchs at the clan level. And he's being told to leave. It's hard for us to, I think, think about how big of a deal this is. I was trying to think this morning, you know, if you have a, uh, maybe the starting quarterback who's a senior at T.R. Miller, I'm not talking about a real person, for the football team. What if God called him before the first game to instead be the starting quarterback at Neal, to leave all his people, right? Who are his people? The Miller people. Right? So he leaves that, turns his back on all those people and goes and, 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 and he competes for arch enemy. Imagine, that's a pretty big deal. But not just that, he, he's called to leave his father's house. This is Tara's house. You know, back in those days, you would live in your extended family, and together, you would live together, migrate together, support each other, you'd work the same herds together. Uh, you wouldn't just live in a nuclear family. This would be aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, I mean, huge family. And, and the lines between nuclear families were, were really ambiguous. You didn't, you didn't just live in your own little um, huddle like we do and close the garage and not talk to anybody. You would live with your family. And God says, you've got to leave all those people too. This was a big deal. 
Now, here's the thing. Father Abraham, he sets the stage what God calls us to do. Now, maybe you haven't been called, or maybe I haven't been called to leave my family and to leave my country. Um, although God did call me to leave from Montgomery, and leave my, my family there. But God may not call us physically from those things, but he does call us to move away from those things in our hearts. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Of course God calls us to love our families. But whom are we to love the most? Where is our heart allegiance? It can't be to our country. It can't be to a political party. It can't be to a football team. It can't be to hunting. It can't be to sports. It can't be... You name it, right? It's Jesus. And this text tells us that if we love those things more than Jesus, we are not worthy of Him. And isn't it a, isn't it a constant battle in our hearts to love Jesus more than this world? It, it, is, in, it is in my heart. If, if you look at my life functionally so often, I love a lot of other things more than I functionally love Jesus, at least in, in how I live and act and what I focus my heart on. Don't, don't you know that struggle too? God calls us away from those things and to Him. See, it's not just a call from, it is a call to. It's a call from those things and a call to Jesus. A call to Yahweh. A call to God. Have you ever seen, uh, I stole this illustration from somewhere and I can't remember where I got it from. So, heads up, I stole this from somebody. Uh, have you ever seen the show, Let's Make a Deal? I haven't seen the new one. I've seen you know, the old one. Uh, you know how this works, right? You win a mattress set. And then the guy walks up to you and says, hey, you can keep that mattress set or you can have what is behind curtain number three. And you've got to decide in that moment whether you think that's more valuable than that nice, I mean, it's a nice mattress, Tempur-Pedic. It's got one of those up and down features, right? It's got the cooling thing and, it's, and your wife and you, you're not sleeping on the same part. I mean, this thing is a nice mattress. You've got to figure out if, what you, if curtain number three is more valuable than what you got. You know, you'll never let go of the mattress unless that other thing is more valuable to you. And we'll never let go of the things that cling so closely to us, Roman, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, unless we see the value of Christ. My prayer is that every day Christ will be more and more precious to us. But, you know, Abram doesn't have to decide if he's going to choose curtain number three, without knowing what's behind there, Jesus, uh, God tells him. Now, he doesn't know all the details, right? This land that I'm going to show you, that's a hard thing. But there are seven promises in this text. You know, outlines with lots of lists should make you worried, right? It means preachers can go long. Uh, so the first is land, right? The, there, these first two promises are the most important promises, perhaps in the whole Old Testament. Perhaps in the whole Old Testament. The first is that God is going to give Abram a land. We see this in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Now what's the problem? This whole idea of offspring is a real big problem. Can you imagine Abram? Sarai, come here. Yahweh is going to give us land. Isn't that great? And not just that, to give to our children. And Sarai says, Abram, why don't you call your children? Come in and call them to come and you can tell them all about it. They didn't have any children. 
Sarai was barren. She was old, past childbearing years. But God said, I will give you this land, this land of promise. That's what we call it, the promised land. And I will not just give it to you, I will give it to your children. In fact, Abram really never receives the inheritance of it. It's really for his children's children's children. An offspring God indeed gave to Abram. Do you know who first received Genesis? Remember who wrote it, right? Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Um, I almost said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, He wrote these first five books. He received inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Where was he? In the wilderness between 1440 and 1400 B.C., while God's people are wandering around, they're waiting for that generation to die off so they can go into, the prom- into where? The promised land. And so God gives him Genesis, and then it was read at the campfires of two to three million Israelites. Who are these descendants promised to Abram? These people. As they hear this read, they're like, huh, that's us. God gave this promise so long ago, and here we are, more numerable than the stars in the heavens above. Right? That was the promise. And here they are. There's a whole host of them that God has led out of Egypt. But, but there's an even more important descendant in there. See, Galatians 3.15, Paul interprets this passage. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring. Who is whom? Jesus. Who is Christ? See, ultimately, the promise was of one particular offspring who would give us the great blessing of leading us into the true promised land, which is heaven. And now we are the offspring of Abraham, not by flesh. Although if you're Jewish, I don't think any of you are. You may be according to the flesh as well, but by the Spirit. We are the spiritual offspring of Abram, and therefore these promises apply to us. But not only that, he's going to make him a great nation according to verse 2. What's a nation? One commentator said, a a political unit with common land, language, and government. Who is it right now? It's Abram and Sarah. Is that a nation? No. But as the the Israelites are sitting around the campfires here in Genesis Red, they say, hey, 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 this just happened to us. We just met with God at Sinai, and he made us into a nation. All these things which God had promised to Abram so many years before, they were coming true. So think about a nation. Did you know that we are God's people? We are Israel. This is what the church is. We are God's people. We are God's people. Not only that, but he would give him a great name. You know, it's hard to have a great name when you have no children and you have no legacy back in those days. But think about this. Because of the legacy that God gave to Abram, 55% of the world traces its lineage, spiritually and physically, to Abraham, rightly or wrongly. But not, not only that, what is, what is Abraham's claim to fame now? It is that he is a great example of faith. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He has a great name. We're talking about him today. God gave him that. Fourth, God will bless him. What does that mean? It means that God will show him great favor. This could be reflected in his life, right? Infertility, dealing with others materially, but especially spiritually. What is the greatest blessing that Abram ever received? It was a right relationship with God. It wasn't the land. 
It wasn't even physical descendants, apart from Jesus, of course. It was that he was justified by faith, that he was counted as righteous because he believed. That's Galatians, uh, Genesis 15, 6. Right? You know what a blessing we have. I've said it before, my favorite part in the Apostles' Creed is we believe in the forgiveness of sin. That's our only hope in Jesus, right? What a blessing we have. The sixth promise is that God's going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You know, it's interesting. No one had ever heard of Abraham before this, outside of the Ur of Chaldees. But God is going to make him the dividing line of those who are blessed and those who are cursed. If you want a blessing back in those days, you better be on Abraham's side. Because the, the Hebrew is real clear here. Even if you speak lightly of him, God will curse you. <laughs> Some pretty strong language. Doesn't this point us to Jesus? See, with Abraham, you're either for him or against him. If you're for him, you're blessed. If you're against him, you're cursed. This, of course, points us to the, the greater Abraham, we might say. The one to whom Abraham pointed. You know, Jesus, people are either for him or against him. There is no middle ground with Jesus. Did you need to hear that? There's no middle ground. There's no flirting with Jesus. There's no having him on your own terms with Jesus. You're either for him or against him. And those who trust in him for salvation will be blessed now and forever with eternal life. And those who do not believe in him, according to John 3, 18, are already cursed and will be cursed forever in hell. This is an inclusive statement in that all are invited to call upon the name of the Lord, Jew and Gentile alike, right? And it's also an exclusive statement that if you don't call on him, you are condemned. The final promise is verse 7. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As many commentators have noted, missions does not start in uh, Matthew 28. It's highlighted there as Jesus gives the Great Commission. Missions started back here in Genesis chapter 12. God is a missionary God, and he was, God was calling a man to be the agent through whom he would bring blessings to all people groups who lived on earth. God's call to Abram and his descendants was not to hold this blessing to themselves, but to be the vehicles for other people, that they might be blessed. In fact, um, in verse 2, we're told the purpose of this blessing. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In the Hebrew, this is actually a command. It's an imperative. It says literally, be a blessing. What a great word to us as believers, we who know so much more than Abraham did that we would take the blessings with which we have been blessed of being reconciled to Christ by His blood and that we would be willing and able and motivated to share that blessing with others, that they might be blessed, they might be, that they might go from cursed to blessed. See, this was God's purpose for the Israelites as they were heading into the promised land. They would have heard from at Mount Sinai not long before this, Exodus 19, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. They were, they were meant to be ambassadors, emissaries for Yahweh, for God, telling others and calling them, the nations, all the families of the earth, to worship the one and true living God. 
Now, here's the thing. Peter picks up this same exact language. 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen race. He's talking to Gentiles. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's straight from Exodus 19. A people for his own possessions. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, God gave to Father Abraham. He gave him faith, which he has done for us. He called him out of darkness and into light, which he has done for us. And then he called him to share that blessing with others, pointing ultimately to his descendant, whom we know as Jesus. So what was Abraham's response? We've looked at the first three listed on your outline. He had faith, he left, and he went to the promised land. The fourth, though, is that he worshipped. He worshipped. See, this is, this is our response. When God does something for us, we are to worship Him, to bless His name, and to bless others. And so we find verses, in verses nine, 6 through 9, Abram traveling through the promised land from the north to the south. Negev, or Negev, is Hebrew for south. That's all it is, from the north to the south. And along the way, he builds altars. What is he doing with that? Well, they're stone altars uncut by um, any kind of, of, um, of tool. And on the altars, he would have sacrificed to God. And, and you know, that's very public, isn't it? This would have been in a field. In fact, the, the, uh, the oak here, the terebinth that is mentioned here, this was originally a, a pagan place of worship. He goes there and he builds an altar claiming it for Jesus, claiming it for Yahweh. Saying, this is the land that he has promised to us. And he worships God around all these other people. Don't you know they would have thought, who is this joker? Who is this guy? What is he doing here? And he called upon the name of the Lord. He worshiped God. And then he went south further and he built another one. And God appeared to him and, and told him this promise of giving the land to his descendants. And there we find this strange phrase. And there he called on the name of the Lord. Now, by that, it doesn't mean that Abram had finally become a believer. This had happened really before he leaves. But rather, this word call upon means to proclaim. He didn't just worship God. He told everybody else about God, seeking to bring them into the blessings to belong to him. In fact, we think he'd already done it. You'll note in one of the verses it says that when they left Haran, they took all their possessions and all the people that they had acquired... That's not talking about slaves. We know that because it's the wrong Hebrew word. Rather, I think it's he'd already told people about Yahweh. He'd already told them about God. And they came with him to the land that had been promised. So this is our family history. And Father Abraham has left a great mark on our family. And if we trace the lineage down, you know, every family has black sheep in it. Every family. Every family has stories. Every family has heartache. Every family has... Well, you know what I'm talking about. But if we, if we look at the lineage of Jesus, if we look at the spiritual lineage of Abraham, apart from Jesus, did you know that it doesn't have black sheep in it? It consists only of black sheep, of you and me, who don't deserve to be in the family. But Jesus has taken upon himself at the cross the price, the cost of what is needed for us to be part of the family, to be part of the blessing, 
to have the, the hope of the promised land, the ultimate land, the land of rest, heaven, the true Canaan. You can't join it because you're born into it. Just because your parents are in it doesn't mean you're in it. How do you get in it? By faith in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It is in Christ that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we think about our spiritual family history, y'all, think about the reunion that is going to be in heaven. I look forward to that day. Don't you have family members who love Jesus who you long to see again? Don't, don't, you, don't you know we'll probably have a, a first pres reunion in heaven? So we'll sit around and we'll talk about all the people I've only heard about. We don't have to say goodbye forever. We will spend forever in heaven together in the promised land as God's people, remembering, rejoicing, and praising our God. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness and into light, not because we wanted the light, but because you have made yourself lovely to us, convicting us of our sin and giving us a grace that we might have faith in Christ. We pray these sayings in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We'll conclude our service with 484, Who is on the Lord's Side. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. One and three only. Let's stand and sing to the Lord.